Hello, and welcome to Missing an Audience. In each episode, a different guest from the arts world will talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected their practice, how they see things changing going forwards, and about their memories of being part of or creating for audiences. Our aim with this podcast is to hear from and reach as many different people working or studying in the arts as possible, to connect over what we miss and have lost, what we have to look forward to, and what needs to change. We also hope to spread awareness of charities or arts groups struggling at this time. We need the arts, and we need audiences. Culture is for entertainment, protest, education, therapy, employment, inspiration and connection. It must survive. This episode was recorded before the government's announcement of a £1.57 billion funding package to support the arts industry or the publication of guidance for working safely in the performing arts. While we welcome this news, the fight to save artists, workers and venues continues and we wait to see how this story will unfold over the coming weeks. Today's guest is director Julia Thomas. An acting graduate of Drama Centre London, Julia has held a number of prestigious positions throughout her career. She is a member of the Director's Lab at Lincoln Centre in New York, and from 2019 to 2020, she was an Associate Director at National Theatre Wales, where her previous credits had included Cotton Fingers for the 2018 NHS season, Iliad, and A Provincial Life. She has also worked extensively with Curve Theatre in Leicester, where she was awarded a Resident Assistant Director placement by the Regional Theatre Young Directors Scheme. Her productions with Curve include Our Day Out, A Clockwork Orange, and UK tours of George's Marvellous Medicine and Giraffes Can't Dance, which she also co-wrote. In 2015, Julia was resident director at the National Theatre Studio in London, where she has remained a frequent collaborator as a festival director for the National Theatre Connections programme. Other credits include acclaimed productions of Twelfth Night at Chester's Storyhouse Grosvenor Park Open Air Theatre, Jim Cartwright's Two at Derby Theatre, and Alan Harris's dementia-friendly show This Incredible Life for Canoe Theatre, which was chosen as 2018's Play of the Year in Wales by Othniel Smith for British Theatre Guide. Hello, I'm Jake Leonard. I'm the creator and host of this podcast, and I'm a freelance theatre director. So, hi Julia, how are you? I'm all right, Jake, yeah. I'm adjusting. What have you been up to? Well, I guess... um, most recently, I was I was working on um, I'm working on a co-created project called Go Tell the Bees with National Theatre Wales, hmm. and during lockdown, we've still been trying to work out how we uh, engage with um, communities in Pembrokeshire and West Wales because you know as a co-created project, working with people across the county has been like a really key part of that. Um, and we didn't really want to like lose the momentum of that of that development. We got to a really critical point just before lockdown of an R and D um, in Pembroke, and wanted to build on that. So we've been creating these digital animations with this amazing animator called Gemma Green Hope, and um, and they've kind of 
um, been in a in a case, in a way they've been a kind of offering to people, you know, to kind of respond. Um, and so we've been making these short films. And uh, two weekends ago, we did a digital procession with sunflowers, um, and we had uh, this narrative woven through. We had loads of people like singing, dancing. We had the kind of samba band playing all digitally. Of course, we had a choir. We had a sing-along, we had a dance-along, we went live to people's houses where they were dancing in via Zoom. So I, a lot of my kind of efforts and energy have been towards that really for the last few weeks. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm just regrouping now after the chaos of putting together an online digital procession. Yeah, can't get me that sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> It was sort of a bit of, um, I guess, because we were going live to people's houses. You just didn't really know what how it was going to go. But it was uh, it was really great. And actually, we had, you know, we had a lot of people watch it on the night as well as be involved in the actual procession. And and it it gave a real flavour of what we wanted to achieve, you know, in the production. Mm-hmm. And I got to kind of storyboard a music video, which was quite cool. I've never done that before either. <laughs> okay. So you know, I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, feel quite weirdly you know worried and upset and uh, frustrated that we, we're not able to make live work but at the same time I'm trying to remain optimistic about the things I'm learning uh, and yeah. the n- new ways of working that they're not necessarily theatre they don't replace theatre but they're just they they're still creative processes and um course, yeah. you know that's been quite enjoyable really yeah and you, you know you can direct music videos now when you come out of this yeah, I think I've found my found my calling, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. We work with an amazing actor, songwriter, singer called Caris Aleri, who's mm. really fantastic. And she played uh, Olwen, the goddess of the sun. And she was really gorgeous, actually. She did all these kind of live live scenes on Zoom, as well as pre-recorded work. And um, she wrote this song for the end, which is uh, called Return to Your Trees, so Dordnall Apenhoid, it is in Welsh, and it's a bilingual song. Um, and so, like, so that's a, a saying in Welsh, you know, return to your trees is kind of returning to nature, kind of grounding yourself again. And uh, Go Tell the Bees, the title of that is to do with um, this old tradition of um, whenever anything significant would happen in communities, human beings uh, would go and tell the bees. So if somebody had died, they would go to the hive and say, you know, this person has died and that this would kind of uh, restore the equilibrium of, of the kind of, the, I guess, that relationship between the bees and humans. Um, and the kind of the saying was that if we stopped talking to the bees, then they would disappear. They'd leave us forever. That's really good. So you've had a, quite a creative lockdown then, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I have, I guess. I do, I, I've sort of stopped now um, and I'm having a bit of reassessment time and working out what I am, who I am, what I'm doing, um, what what is going on. Um, yeah. But it was nice to be, re- it was nice to be distracted for a while. Um, but I suppose there's only so much of that you can do without then waking up to the reality. Ultimately, without the audience, it's not an art form. The audience are 50% of that art because without that live interaction, we don't have theatre, we have another art form. And I think that's what makes it unique. So that, that is a big question is why why aren't our audiences absolutely up in arms about the fact that they're not going to be able to go to the theatre? I just find that really odd that it, it's just the people who are making theatre who are the ones who are going, 
please help us, we need support here, you know, our buildings are closing down here, there and everywhere. In theory, you know, we should have thousands upon thousands of people in communities across the UK up in arms about losing an entire sector. I don't understand why we're not, but that's, maybe I do, maybe I just don't want to ask that question and be told the answer. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's obviously, it's a desperate situation, but it's also quite a reflective one, I guess, isn't it? Because we're trying to think about how we engage with audiences and who we're making work for and why we're making that work, because maybe that's why audiences haven't been rising up with us, you know, because it's not been inclusive enough or it's not been accessible enough. Yeah, and I think, it. of course, it differs where you are and where your local theatre is and the need for theatre can only really be assessed by the people who are experiencing it as audiences. Our theatres should be hubs for us to feel like we can go and and meet other people and be creative and and be welcome. The most exciting and brilliant theatres are the ones that of course they are about the productions that they make and the stories they choose to tell and the and the story the stories are vital in us understanding you know what is important to us as individuals and communities but also there are places where even if you're not interested in productions you're interested in being part of this open space this space of acceptance um and this space of expression and creativity and we have to question why so much emphasis is on buildings lots of big questions but these questions needed to be asked anyway (laughs) yes yeah exactly the sort of central thrust of the podcast is asking guests to talk about uh, significant audience experiences that they've had whether as a creator or whether as a member of an audience um and i know you've got some examples so what would you like to tell us about i'm going to start with a negative jake i know that's uh... (laughs) it I, I suppose, but it will maybe help to understand there where my positives come from. But um, yeah. one of the most negative audience experiences I had, and it was only a brief moment, it was a fleeting moment, was um, I went to see Versailles by Peter Gill at the Donmar. Mm. And, um, and you know, I, I had... I'd assisted Peter uh, previously and I had gone, I had a really great seat because he managed to get me a really nice seat. So I was really excited because I normally end up in the really rubbish seats in the Donmar. So I was like, look at me in the really great seat. Um, And I felt really excited. And I I knew I was in obviously an expensive seat. And there was this couple um, in front of me and, you know, just beforehand, you can't help but, you know, eavesdrop a little bit um, and have a listen to what people are saying. And um, anyway, he he arrives slightly later than her and um, he kind of gets his way through the row and then sits next to her. And the first thing he says is, so, uh, so what's this thing we're seeing then? What is this tonight? And I could just tell he had no idea what he'd come to see. This is just the fact that they come maybe once a week or once a month to see the latest thing that sh- maybe she'd bought the tickets um, it was just like that lack of investment or even care about what it was, you know, oh yes, I saw Versailles by Peter Gill, blah, 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 here's my critique, let's move on. And I just thought, God, this is the death of theatre, the mm. death of audience, where people who are entitled, who can afford to buy those seats, um, are the ones who can have the conversations about it. This isn't going to impact on their lives in any way, it's it's just routine. And it just really saddened me, and I kind of, you know, I'm I'm obviously making huge judgments about them but for me it was this real like it was just a a kind of light bulb moment where I thought there are people who go to the theatre who go because they they ought to be there um Mm. and and that really sort of was quite soulless as a director something happens when you when you first bring your the work to an audience where you've 
your attention has been on the actors and on the on the on the design process and on you know the sound and the visuals of everything and the kind of collective bringing together of all of the elements and um and supporting everyone and I, I feel you feel like a conduit and you feel like a kind of the link you know the kind of one link that links all of the chain really so that everyone um everyone feels like they're making the same thing there's something weird that happens then with when an audience come into it because you don't know they don't they you don't know what they're going to do uh, or how they're going to respond and but you're desperate for them to want to, to love it you know you want them to you know you you don't want anyone to go away feeling like they've had a terrible time or they didn't enjoy something and um so i get upset i just watch the audience completely i i just become obsessed with watching the audience and uh i love just you know and it must be weird actually i often think this when poor audience members when you know particularly those first few days of a show must be thinking who is that woman who's just looking at us this is weird (laughs) (laughs) staring staring at them writing things down um but um there was one audience that i i remember um when i was working at curve in Leicester, and i was um, assisting nikolai on what the butler saw and we did a um a kind of communities um, community ambassador program which was all about developing audiences who may not have come to see the production otherwise mm. so we had 10 ambassadors who lived or worked on the saffron lane estate in Leicester, which is where joe Orton grew up we had a program where we made it easier for people to buy tickets there was somebody who was working um with them to kind of I suppose break down the barriers of why we might not want to go into a big imposing theatre or or maybe we just didn't really think that we were going to like that thing and so there wasn't really the same system of buying tickets it was and you got your ticket in your hand there was no posting anything out you weren't on a database you know and and it was just trying to deconstruct the things maybe that are not helpful to theatres because obviously theatres need to understand that data um but they were useful to those people coming into the theatre maybe for the first time or you know to support this work anyway we had around 100 people come to the performance that night from Saffron Lane and um and you know it was a real celebration of Joe Orton and that kind of sense of pride um that that he grew up in that area of Leicester um and we oh it was such an amazing audience because they laughed and laughed. I mean, it's such a great production. I, I really fond memories of it. You know, that it was so beautifully crafted. And I think, you know, Nikolai's work on it was just wonderful. And it was a great cast and just a fantastic design. And so it was just really gorgeous. You had, we were at the back of the stalls and, there, and I was sitting with the, the group of people who'd come along. Honestly, it was so, so energized because there was this like really amazing feeling that, um, that the play was speaking directly to us, that we were allowed to laugh, and the like the giggles and the apps, it was kind of raucous, really. Um, and I just loved it. And I just thought, um, I thought it was exactly the kind of audience I want to be part of, you know, and it was exactly the kind of audience I want to make, you know, people who are uncensored, they've come for to enjoy themselves and and to understand something. Um, mm-hmm. and even within that moment, they're willing to give something a chance. They believe that they should give it a chance and and they gave it a chance and they were just like, that's when they felt like 50% and more, like, you know, that that without them, it wouldn't be what it is, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't passive. It was really active and just, just really very gorgeous, actually, being part of that. A play I commissioned and directed called This Incredible Life. It's a really beautiful play about... Um, 
a family uh, kind of, I suppose, adapting to um, ha- ha- life with living with somebody with dementia. So, uh, so the character Marb lives with dementia, and she um, it was a really brilliant journalist, um, and is now kind of meeting her her nephew um and uh, they've kind of got a bit of a family rift and things haven't quite been the same but it's in a way it's about accepting change and how as families we need we need to accept the change in people and it's more about you know it's not it's the kind of you know the Alzheimer's society we worked in partnership with on it you know often give the advice about you know not trying to correct or change but just support and enable and love you know above all and um and it's about that really it's at the very good there's about lots of things there's like all sorts of crazy things happen in it but ultimately um it's about that sense of loving unconditionally in the most pure way um but um yeah, the first time we ever did, uh, we did it. So we set up uh, dementia-friendly performances, and we worked with the Alzheimer's Society to develop audiences of people living with dementia around their families. Because, you know, in South Wales, not a huge amount of that work had been done, and I was really interested in ha- quite a lot dementia, a lot of time dementia-friendly work is, you know, kind of putting a a play uh, together that, or, or a musical that, you know, already exists and. And but what we're doing is adapting the audience experience for that. And what I wanted to do with this was how do we make the you know if, if theatre is meant to be holding a mirror up to nature or we're meant to kind of be um, sort of looking at our own stories? What happens when you have an audience of people living with dementia engaging in a play that is about a woman living with dementia? Um, and how do you do that sensitively and with care and with compassion and with understanding, but without fear, you know, that this is a reality? And um, and it was a, a big question for me, really. There's been two iterations of this which has been developed over four years. The first iteration in 2016, Sharon Morgan, who is the actor playing Marb, first line she says is Park Howard Avenue, Llanelli, which is where it's set. And uh, we had this amazing audience and... Uh, it was brilliant because she said that line and she was very nervous because she, you know, she'd she'd never performed actually um in front of an audience of, of people living with dementia. She wasn't sure how it was going to work, you know, in terms of um people's um interest or whether they're going to enjoy it, what bits they were going to enjoy, whether we'd kind of got all the elements right. We were it was very much testing that. And uh, so she says the line, Park Howard Avenue Tlesley, and from the audience, this woman shouts out. That's not Llanelli. (laughs) (laughs) I just loved it. This, like, from the very moment, Sharon had to kind of adapt and think, okay, okay, so maybe people are going to talk to me throughout this performance. Um, And it was just brilliant because it was, uh, it kind of made me realise that people were listening and they they wanted to listen and... uh, and it just totally and utterly felt like the right thing to do. And it, I was, and you know, over the four years, I learned a huge amount about, um, you know, audiences and and how to how to balance the story with the experience and um, and the senses as well, and how important eating and drinking is in that, and how important uh, having space can be for people. Um, and it's just a, a journey I'm on, I guess, with. Um, you know, with audiences, how do we, how do we make sure that we're not alienating people? How do we make sure that it, theatre is an experience? It's not just something we have to endure. We have this term relaxed performance, you know, it really, theatre should never be a tense experience. It should never be something that we can't access or that we can't feel like ourselves in, you know, it should always be relaxed. And, you know, and it's, 
back to the man in the donma it's because of people like that that it's not relaxed um and i th- i think coming full circle it, we have to make sure that whatever the experience is is that you know we're not just expecting people to behave in a certain way but mm. that they come as themselves and they leave as, as themselves totally enriched and invigorated and enlightened and entertained by the experience that they've had and there's no censorship or sense of like behaving in the right way but we come as human beings and that's how we leave so the last thing that we get people to do on this podcast is talk about charities that or causes that they would like to highlight so what would you like to tell us about I'd like to talk about Bernardo's, the children's charity. My brother is autistic and um, when we were growing up, we had a host family who was funded by Bernardo's and um, we're still friends with now. They're sort of like an extended family to us. They would host my brother for a couple of nights a week, every fortnight. So that, um, I guess, so my my mum had a little bit of of time to herself um, and we had a little bit of time with my mum. But also it was great for my brother because he, he got to, they had like a really big garden and he learned all about beekeeping and you know he loved beekeeping and he kept they kept rabbits and all sorts of things which we you know we didn't have so for him it was a really it was like a a bit of a break from us to be honest and and (laughs) for us it it was a bit of time to regroup you know because he he, was quite challenging when he was growing up and um They've always been a, an important charity for me. Uh, when I was 16 and I, I volunteered for Bernardo's, so I worked as a kind of one-to-one activity worker with young people. Um, and um, and I got on, you know, they, they supported me through some really brilliant training opportunities as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think I feel there's uh, there's so many charities at the moment who are uh, facing real hardship because they haven't been able to open their charity shops and I worry about you know organizations like Bernardo's who do so much for families um they do so much for sort of child bereavement and um you know lots of areas as well as activity there's also a huge amount of work done um with families and young people that um, we don't always see and so I would like to yeah to to suggest Bernardo's as the charity of, of my choice thank you very much for joining us Julia you've been fab oh. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. Oh, thanks very much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Missing an Audience, hosted by Jake Leonard. With music by Dave Morris, publicity design by Ben Hollands, and voiceover by Rebecca Clee. We'd love to hear your favourite audience experiences and how COVID-19 has affected you. So feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at MissingAnord. If you want to donate or find out more about the charities our guest was talking about, you can find the links in the description below. In the meantime, keep safe, keep well, and be kind. Next time, we're joined by stage manager and founder of the Theatre Support Fund, Damien Stanton. What we found interesting was that in America, Broadway League had set up a COVID-19 fund to sort of raise money for Broadway. Mm. And there was that show, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber was doing his Shows Must Go On series, Mm. but that was raising money for Broadway. And it kind of felt like no one was raising money for the West End. 
so we decided we were like maybe we could do something what could we do to try and raise a little bit of cash and we came up with this idea of doing a charity t-shirt first we were like oh what would go on it's like oh, i feel like you know the phrase the show must go on because it's poignant in our in our industry the first t-shirt was hideous we were like right well we need to create like a brand for it to go under so we created the theater support fund that sounds proper it's funny now because now here we are eight weeks later and we have sold something like twenty three thousand t-shirts and now we have raised i think just under three hundred thousand pounds 